yeah, this will be the biggest team, I think, that ever left esports. Other than H2K, of course, you know, obviously. Uh, Everyone <laughs> wants to know how H2K is doing, mate. It's crazy. They all check in. They're all super <laughs> interested. So, you know, all I'll say is hated or adored, but never ignored. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Side Select, our Christmas edition. We're all looking very festive, and by we, I mean me and me alone. You guys have very much disappointed me today, although I can't say I expected anything else. But it's all right. I'll make up for it. I've got hey, nice... I, I briefly looked for a hat, and you should be pleased <laughs> I didn't find it, because it would have been exactly like yours. So, you know, it's like showing up to work as two well-put-together women who bought from both brought from Zara, didn't we? So you didn't want to have that problem, Fox. So you're welcome, buddy. Okay, so you, you, you've taken the L here so that I can sit here and exactly. shine like the star at the top of a Christmas tree. Okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. We'll you know the same that. thing, though, Fox? I know what you mean, though, because I have to say, when you're an adult and you're the one now responsible for when you like start your holidays, like, have you noticed now, when you were a kid, I swear, when you were a kid, from December 1st, everything was just Christmas, yeah. it was beginning, there was the advent, everything, right? But when you're an adult, for real, it's like the adult world's like, right, I tell you what, on like December 24th, we might start doing something. And you're like, what? And essentially, if you don't organize it all yourself, it's just normal. Like, it's people, you know, that bill going to be paid, like, still working. Oh, I need you to be work up till the 22nd. Like, mate, the reality of being an adult's mad dark for Christmas. <laughs> like, where's the Christmas? Yeah. It's like a week or something, isn't it? What the fuck? <laughs> I literally just opened a letter for my bank just before we started recording this, man. It was like halfway through December. Chill, please. It's Christmas. Be nice to me. It's, it's horrible. But hey, at least we can put on a show. And wear a Christmas hat for a podcast and make everything else seem like it's all groovy. Yeah, bells and whistles are the ultimate esports distraction, as always. Don't even worry about it. Don't go. even worry about what's behind the curtain. Doesn't matter, does it? Look it's at Fox's hat. Look at his hat. It's nice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, there's no bell or whistle, but it does have a little little thingy going on the top there. So, yes. Uh, we'll talk about some esports today, but before we get on to that, obviously, we've got to talk about the more interesting thing. And I'm actually going to disappoint you guys a little bit here, okay? More so than I usually do. I don't really have a particularly interesting food question. I have a food question, but I have a more... I actually want to hear something else from you guys. But we'll start with the food question, okay? I have two questions, basically, before we go on with the show. Firstly, Christmas dinner, Christmas meal, whatever it is, what is your favorite Christmas menu item? It's kind of a boring question, but it's uh, it's something. I, I'm, I, I'll kick us off and I'll say probably roasties when they're done with the fat from the meat like when right. they're, you know put in the oven yeah yeah, the juices fat. yeah that's really nice that's really nice i like that a lot what about you guys what are your favorite christmas things if people christmas? don't know by the way that is also because maybe you know the countries don't prepare it this way that is also why the roast potatoes and the gravy are so good in the british roast is because you do use the fat of whatever you roasted for all those hours to like bring out the flavor i will say it's an easy one for me insta lock it's yorkshire puddings oh. so it's actually the thing that you can't sadly get in seemingly any other fucking country in the world so although i will say here's a pro tip in the modern day those ones they've made where it's like a pre-made one but it just hasn't been cooked in the oven 
oven yet are actually pretty good. Those aren't terrible. Like, you know, back in the day, obviously, you could get the ones that are frozen, but it was already cooked. That one's going to be terrible when you heat it up. The ones that essentially, like, it's like the mix is already ready in the container you put it in the oven. Those are not bad, actually, if you're in another country and you want them. Because to me, a Yorkshire pudding, if you do it well, it just it just makes the rest of the meat. It makes everything better. It makes the meat better. The gravy's awesome. It goes with the veg. And, and the, pro- the real problem it has is it's just one of those things I've tried so many times. It's impossible to explain what it is to someone from another country. It's the same thing I've noticed you'll, you'll have both experienced with then you try to explain what a British dumpling is mm. compared to, you know, like a fucking a gyoza from Japanese culture or Americans with that. You, it's impossible somehow. To, like if you tell it, it's made out of like suet. They're like, what is suet? You can't win. Like, so unfortunately, if you've never had a Yorkshire pudding, I can't even explain to you what it is, but it's delicious. It's really good. Yorkshire's are yummy. I love Yorkies. What about you, Rich? Yeah, I'm I'm tempted to say the same thing. Like when I was in York, like the the city, there's um I assume it's all over Yorkshire, maybe even all over North England, who knows? But there's this company called like I think they're just called like the Yorkshire Roast Company or Yorkshire Roast Co. or whatever. And they do like obviously specialise in like roast dinners. And the whole meal, like get whatever you want, whether it's beef, turkey, whatever it is, all the fucking trimmings, everything, and it's cooked in a yorkshire pudding that's oh, the giant pl- one that's the plate that's, yeah your plate that's that's yeah yeah, yeah. That is actually it's awesome so there. good it is yes. so good so yeah that that is yeah has to be way up there by the way, what he's hinting at there's another thing which is when you're a kid obviously in theory this must just give you like two small yorkshire puddings but eventually like it just becomes that like you just want infinite yorkshire pudding <laughs> so as he says the dream is just a giant one isn't it just an enormous one that's way too big yeah and uh, yeah, it, we, like in with my family, we actually usually, interestingly, don't usually have turkey because obviously, for people who don't know, turkey is the classic like bird that you have or whatever. Because we're a bunch of fucking middle class pretentious people, we usually have like anything other than turkey. So it's usually like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I knew it was going somewhere. Yeah. Like that, folks, I knew it. Or or fucking I venison. Yeah. I knew it. It'd Veal. never be anything normal that yeah. a normal person could uh, eat because that'd be below them, you know. Exactly. <laughs> we even we even had like this really random like seafood platter one time having yeah. seafood on christmas day what are you even talking uh, about right wait for christmas explain what that is like it's surely not like japanese food. it's like a fish or something what, yeah like what, you know like uh one of those super like famous like fish place like sankey's or whatever where they bring it's like a huge salmon and then inside the salmon there's like there'll be little hints at christmas like maybe they'll be oh, okay. instead of like I don't know, uh, you know, uh, sausage wrapped in bacon. It'll be like, I don't know, fucking prawn wrapped in bacon or whatever. And it's, oh, yeah, it was. This it, is it, out there. It's yeah, okay. It was all very like high for Lord and all, oh, look at this, la da, look at our interesting take on Christmas. It never again, but, you know, it's just one of those things where why not, I guess. So, yeah, but I, I think I'd probably go with, oh, also, I hate. Christmas pudding. Oh, I can't your family have inted Christmas for you one year. <laughs> you turn up yeah, all true. the meals, you can just guarantee you've sort of relied, you know, a minimum, like worst case scenario, maybe you get a bit crazy, it's, you know, a goose or a chicken instead of like roast lamb or beef or whatever. No, no, you turn up and it's just like, right, enjoy your salmon with the fucking prawns inside, Rich. Like, Merry Christmas. Like, they've actually run down Christmas, holy no, shit. But keep in mind, this isn't the first time because you'll remember when I was in France for Christmas, we went to that Michelin star restaurant. That's when no one, even though everyone speaks like a bit 
bit fresh. No one understood what it was on the menu. So like, oh, right. have this because it sounds fancy and it's super expensive. And it was fucking awful. Literally, not awful. It Literally. was awful. So, yeah. That's no. amazing. So, yeah, many Christmas dinners have been run down by sheer guesswork so and pretension. So, yeah, it, it, it's what it is. But, yeah, I'll, I'll say Yorkshire puddings as well. They're fucking banger. I love that. I love you guys love Yorkies. I, I was seeing a girl once who was obsessed with Yorkshire puddings. You came round and she was like, oh, I haven't had dinner yet i was like i don't really have any food in the house you can order something so like, oh you know what have you got open up my freezer and i had a pack of like aunt bessie's Yorkies. yeah there. classic like, yeah i just have those i was like what do you mean you just have those she was like yeah just back. and she had like six yorkies just on a plate bam sorted that was her done good girl um Listen, I one time when I was a student, box drop, and I had no money because, you know, managing money isn't part of being a student. Essentially, being a student is learning why managing money is essential to life. Uh-huh. So I did one of those ones where, obviously, it's the end of the month, and this is back when companies did close down, so there's fuck all going on at Christmas, and I had fuck all money. So all I had to do was I had to get a load of Yorkshire puddings like that, the cheap ones, and then put the cheapest possible gravy in a massive bowl and then just trick my mind, like, the meat and all the rest is coming later. Like, just enjoy the veg. <laughs> and obviously, that was it. That was the only meal. It's like... All I got was the Yorkshire pudding, so that was just the end of my meal. And then I had to just, you know, reflect on life and why I don't have basic money to buy a meal at that point. But that's, that, you know, we're veering into other territory there, but that did happen one time, believe it or not. So it was that's really sad to keep telling my brain, like, you know, these are all right. No, no, but sorry, the rest is coming later. It never was. It was just a lie. It was just a lie. Like the rest Stire. of the university. Stire. That's pretty. <laughs> well, that kind of beats any answer I guess you guys can give to my next question, which is actually, I was going to go quite wholesome on this one, being seeing as it is Christmas time, I want you guys to share a, a happy, positive memory of Christmas. Oh, positive one, okay. Bad. Yeah, I'm not sure we'll beat a depression. It is to me, is it? Isn't this lucky like the easiest one though? Because to be fair, I've always thought like Christmas actually does show you if you don't just have like issues in your family, if you've just got fundamentally bad people in your family. Because if people are ruining every Christmas, like what sort of a cunt are you? You know what I mean? Like to me, it's why I've always made this point that like, you know, when you see those really fucking perverse think pieces in America where they'll actually encourage people to like argue with their family about politics at the dinner table. You know, these stories I'm talking about, Rich, where they'll be like, you know, and be sure to confront your racist uncle about <laughs> yeah. Trump away. And it's like, no, no, that's the opposite. Like, at this particular setting, like, a really important, like, family gathering. Where you by really, yeah, that's exactly yeah. the moment you go your way not to do that. So to me, I hope everyone's got loads of great memories of Christmas. Like, this should be when, essentially, you go, fuck all the rest of the shit, you know, let's all reset, have a, a, a one-off at Christmas, have a good time. So to me, there's a million, mate. Like, I actually think a lot of it, this is why, actually, I think loads of movies get a bit overrated in your mind, because it's more like the ambiance you watch all the Christmas yeah. movies and makes you think the movies are fucking god tier and then sometimes you watch one of them in like you know april or something you're like this isn't even a good film but it's because you know that setup of when you're all chill and cozy you've had like a little bit to drink or you've had your meal like i I think if anything there's a million great memories you can have a christmas right it's probably one of the best things to have a memory from so what give us a good christmas memory then do I mean, uh, classic ones would just be uh, actually tied to things like movies. Like, I do love yeah. watching stuff. I actually, I, I like watching just the ones that are just stupid. Like, like I, I do like Elf. I'm not even a big Will, Will Ferrell fan, mm. but I think Elf's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like, that's like a banger movie to watch. So stuff like that's also great because, like, there's not really a story. Like, someone can be, like, falling asleep in it. They can be drinking, doing like uh-huh. You yeah. can be doing anything. You don't, it's not fucking, it's not Tenet by Christopher Nolan. You don't have to keep track of the plot or whatever. Like, it's just a fucking, you put it on. It's just funny in the background and you have good vibes, don't you? 
you. So I like to like rewatch something like that where you know exactly what it's a it's a known quantity. You queue it up, you get your little snack or your drink, and then just everyone just enjoys watching it, don't they? I uh, Christmas confession, I've never seen Elf in my life. Watch it this year, mate. You will you will thank me. You will thank me. I might so, have but, to, yeah. honestly. Yeah. What about you, Rich? Give a, uh, I can't wait to hear what your happy Christmas <laughs> memory is going to be. I mean, one time they just had a normal turkey with just food and <laughs> yeah. presents. He was like, "Holy shit!" It's like we're living like the other side, you know? Fucking hell. Well, that's the thing. It's like I don't, I don't even have the <laughs> the contrast of like, oh, there's family issues, but at Christmas everyone comes because I mean, everyone in my family just like has, gets along anyway. They're all. They're all fucking politically aligned. They don't argue about any of this kind of bullshit. So yeah, it's more like when it's Chris, when it's Christmas time, it's not so much like um, I can't think of like standout. I mean, there's I guess a couple. I remember like um, I was skiing at Christmas once, and there was like a, this. Um, it was like at night, and there's like this light show thing where they're like synchronized skiing, which like was making these Christmas images like as they're moving. It was pretty mental. It's kind of hard to describe, but you can probably fucking YouTube it. I'm sure loads of people have done this kind of thing. And that was like sort of, I guess, like a moment in time where you're like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. That's like the only time you'd ever see that combination of things happen. But yeah, generally it's more like to use the Zuma term. It's just the vibe, isn't it? It's like knowing that you put whatever responsibilities, generally speaking, that you have to one side and you're just fucking chilled out drinking eggnog or whatever the fuck you like to uh chill out to it's just nice and warm outside isn't it preferably while it's snowing outside although in the uk since the 90s we haven't really had a white christmas as far as i'm aware which is one of the reasons why we always fuck off to france at christmas going this year as well uh so yeah it's i don't know for me snow is like a big part of christmas so if it's like snowy outside warm inside i'm like one of those people who loves thunderstorms when i'm inside I think that's fucking awesome. Nothing gets me to sleep quicker than being like wrapped up warm while there's a fucking horrendous thunderstorm going on outside. So yeah, snow outside, good food and drinks inside. It's just the vibe. But yeah, all my Christmas memories kind of just merge into one because it's it's a bit repetitive if I'm going to be cynical, isn't it? You know, it's, there's never there's never a Christmas where you're like, this year we're at Alton Tower. It's like it's just Christmas, isn't it? You're inside, you're playing board games, you're drinking. That's it. I think yeah, it's it is being a kid as well, though. That's the only oh, yeah. thing. Because you know, like earlier when I said how Christmas felt like it lasted forever. Like the one of the worst realizations when you're an adult is when you find out that actually, like Christmas break, if uh, like uh, summer break for school is just like three weeks or something. And you're like, what? It's like no, it was three months, wasn't it? You know, like yeah. I'm sure it was like we had like you come back in the next year, you're like, who are you? What the fuck's going on? And he's like, but like, it actually is just like three weeks as well. Yeah, Steve, six foot. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I think about that actually all the time as well. Like how I feel like a year when I was a kid is like was an eternity, it. and the summer holiday was an eternity as well. And then, yeah, now it's like, oh, the kids broken up for summer. Okay, yeah. And then next day, oh, the kids going back to school. What? What's that? What? That's yeah. Right. Let's talk about some esports, shall we? Christmas is fun and all, but we're here to do a job, and that job we shall do. Speaking of jobs and jobs to do, uh, Mark Zimmerman, he's got himself a new one, has he not? In uh, the NALCS, or just LCS. Now he's he he's the new commissioner. I kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest. Mark Z, obviously, uh, he he's done a bunch of different stuff in the uh, League of Legends scene, and his most recent venture is as the new commissioner for the LCS. I think this is really interesting. So I want to get your your opinions on this. How you think Mark's gonna do? What you think of him as a as a candidate? And what you think he needs to do as well, uh, if you were in his shoes, what you would do to try and fix the LCS, Rich? Hit me up. 
what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, I think with the hire, um, there's like a couple of different schools of thought on it, right? Like obviously it's a hire from within more or less because for people who don't know or don't watch LCS, like he's been on the broadcast on and off for many, uh, many a year at this point. He's also worked with teams primarily as like a content creator, but doing things which are very much like scene esports orientated. Um, so he knows the company, I guess, which is always put forward as like a positive for why you might hire someone from within. And I do think with LCS, to be honest, I do feel like you either need to hire someone from within or someone who's just very familiar with esports as a whole, what actually works, what doesn't work. Um, because all these people who come into the space and think they know uh, what works or they think they know how to apply traditional business to esports has never, ever worked. Spoiler alert, we're probably going to talk about that with EG a bit later, maybe. So, yeah, to me, that logically, how they landed on Mark, like, I don't know him, like, super well other than what his person that he projects uh, is. But I don't think it's necessarily, like, a bad fit. Um, I just feel that when it comes to fixing LCS... Do I have faith that he's going to do that? I'm not really sure because, you know, one of the things that was talked about a lot, again, sort of referencing uh, EG, is the Danny situation, right? Which Mark, unfortunately, which a lot of people have brought up, he did kind of downplay that one. Obviously, his boy Travis went the extra mile with downplaying it. But wh where's that investigation, by the way? I mean, just because the commissioner has changed hands, are we ever going to see anything come from that investigation? You Just because someone leaves a league, you, you don't let them off the hook. Like I'm still hoping to see that uh, investigation come out. And to me, that will probably be the yardstick of how he means to go on. Because if we don't see an update on that situation, and that should be one of the next things to come around the corner, right? I'm going to lose a lot of faith in how he approaches it. But obviously, I'll leave the benefit of the doubt out there for now. As I said, like to fi actually fix LCS, I think basically one of two things needs to happen. Um, either one, you go to drastic steps, which no one has attempted yet, to actually fix the region internally, to actually fix the infrastructure of the region where you do move the server, you do move the LCS uh, itself, and you do address all the reasons why domestic players are not doing well enough not just internationally, but why the viewership's down. and But this all, as we've seen recently, by the way, is tied to the, the success of the region. I think it was always sort of discussed back and forth. How much of a big effect does that actually have like on how popular your region is viewership-wise? Like, Do you actually need to be really competitive? And I think the answer is yes, basically. LPL and LCK viewership has only been going up in the West. And... Uh, LCS in particular has been going down and we now have enough data as well to see LEC which is the most interesting region in this regard because obviously we have our ups and downs that does affect viewership when G2 and it was a very top heavy region but when G2 were doing super well and were an international threat our viewership did go up when we're less good it does go down so I think that however you approach it the competitiveness of the region has to go up. And as I said, that's the first approach. The second approach, which I know people like Thorin and Monty have uh, talked about in the past, which I used to be really against, but I actually think I may now be open to just because to me, it's kind of like this is last chance saloon almost. Just open the region, get rid of the import rule and just open the region, allow them to actually bring over full infrastructure from an lck group of players or L, uh, uh, lpl or whatever you want to do and just 
decide that actually it's not possible to fix a region in a cost-effective manner where you can improve solo queue, where you can blood new talent, where you can have a proper academy system, because it might not be. It might actually just be economically unviable. I'm not sure. And if, But if that is the case, you have to open the region to imports and just get rid of that rule and allow basically there to be a third eastern region essentially in fucking california or wherever the wherever you're going to put it with obviously good ping and all the other things that you could do so far as you're in your control so that that would actually be my obviously there's loads of little things you could change with the broadcast or whatever but big picture you either have to go through these drastic steps to actually fix the region, which, by the way, is probably like a five, ten year process. I'm not even sure if you want to do that. I'm not even sure if Riot or anyone knows if the game's going to be alive at that point. Or you take option number two, which is you get rid of the import rule and you actively encourage teams to basically make Asian super teams and hopefully an environment where multiple teams are doing it and you can have effective in-houses and people playing against each other and not just sitting in bloody American solo queue uh, wasting their time so those would be the two big picture things that i would go for um and by the way i would just quickly address because obviously it's been back and forth or whatever and there's only so much you can say in a tweet the whole like travis gafford coming out saying he didn't apply for the job just to give you guys like more context this because jacob did a massive tweet but he actually completely butchered it as far as i'm concerned in, t in terms of explaining why it is semantics because it is semantics what Travis is saying. No, he didn't apply for the job so far as, by the way, and I've talked about this before, whenever LEC teams approach me and say, hey, would you be interested in this? And I say no, or if I were to go to them and inquire, right, if it was the inverse, I wouldn't be officially filling out the application on indeed.com or whatever. But obviously, if I approach them and I'm asking about the job, and by the way, with Travis, and what Jacob said initially is kind of correct as well. Like when Jackie uh, got the job, Travis was inquiring to any person at Riot who would listen to him inquire about the job and was clearly thirsting like fuck after the job. And anyone who is close to Travis knows that this is true and that this is a job that he has coveted for years at this point. So to say I didn't apply for the job because I basically didn't fill out the official application is pure semantics and complete bullshit. Basically, you ask people for the job and you were led to believe that you wouldn't get it. And so far as that was the case, you're like, oh, well, uh, I guess from an outfacing perspective, I'm going to support Mark because he's kind of coming from the same area and he seems to have more of a chance. So miss me with that. Like if I apply for an esports job, you think I'm going on a website to apply or you think I'm going through like the official channels to apply? Of course not. If you're well connected in this industry, again, it's like anything else. It's not what you know generally. It's who you know, preferably both. But you're going to go to the people who you know and you're going to basically skip the line. Sorry, that's reality. But guess what? If you're a random and I want to go talk to an LEC team about being their GM, I'm probably going to get preferential treatment if there are people that are like me. That's just how it works. And Travis tried this with LCS multiple times. And his video, by the way, does not counter this. He's literally saying it was semantics. He's basically saying, I did not officially uh, apply, but everyone who inquired or asked me, I implied that I had applied. And by the way, I have been he talking to people I think he phrased it as like, I, like he just let them think yeah. about something. Yeah, he let them believe some, it. Something like that, right? He's like, I let them believe that. Uh, yeah. but that was like, I let them believe that I was in the final stages or whatever. Right. And I let them think that. And over the years, I and he literally said, over the years, I talked to various right people about having the job. It's like, what are we doing? Go you apply Like, in essence, you applied. So don't make a fucking 14 minute and by the way travis little tip buddy if you're gonna sit there and be like well i don't really see the point about it in this video because it's uh, 
probably should edit the video, mate, or at least watch it back before posting it, because that was just a complete self-report as far as I'm concerned. You did apply for the job, in essence. You just didn't fill out the fucking form. Like, spoiler alert, none of us would if we're industry people, so miss me with that. Um, but yeah, as I said, those are the two approaches that I, I think have to be taken big picture. All right, Thorin, hit me up. What are your thoughts? The irony, the greatest irony of all, is in theory, keyword there, theory, in theory, Travis Gaffin actually is the best possible person to do that job, LCS commissioner. And here's why. Because I am not joking. One thing I will give Travis props for over the years, I knew him from literally over 10 years ago, better than a lot of people who claim to otherwise now, is he actually does. The only thing he cares about in esports, in my opinion, is North American League of Legends. It's why it hasn't really worked when he's branched into other games. He never had the same appeal or passion for it. Essentially, part of it is he's a social creature. He's always known those pro players in the early scene. He knew all the early team owners. He knew all the early rioters. He's always been someone who was at every party, who was in the sort of like circles when yeah. you knew about roster moves. He is, a, he's, he is a, the joke is, even though everyone's abused this term, he is an insider for the NA scene specifically. And I actually do think one of the th few things he does love, like all the original true believers of the Riot cult, is he does love NLCS. He actually does love it. I'm being serious. Like, I actually think he's one of the only people who would do that job and have actual enthusiasm for it. Because as you're sort of alluding to, Rich, this is essentially the job, even if he won't admit it, he sort of always did want it always should have been him there's two jobs that are obvious that he should have done either this or be the official riot interviewer now he's always claimed like yeah i didn't do that because you know i didn't want to be connected by riot and then you know like compromised by them which obviously haha if you're a real journalist like the jokes write themselves on that one but that's his version of thinking he has standards and principles and he has to put some distance between him and riot it's why he'll always do that fallback pivot to like look i've criticized riot loads of times it's like that doesn't really count when you look at the times he didn't know and the times where you did go along with the stuff so the real problem is I actually get why he would even be someone thought of for this role. The real joke of it all, though, is I actually think the Mark Z one, I call him Mark Z, is actually about the best signing you could have. Like, the problem is, functionally, if you think of the role, you shouldn't have the people that we had previously. Like, this guy just worked for Riot. That can't be it. Because that's a disqualifying reason for him. What are you talking about? Like, like I have to even see. I even thought it was sus the fucking... Um, the guy who did the PA did it. That, oh, Chris it, Philip Aram, like Philip Aram was oh, literally God. balls deep in a team five minutes before he was on the fucking thing. That already makes me think, like, is this just like in America where someone works for the government in the financial sector and then they work for the actual bank or the fucking SEC after that and then after that they go back and it's like you're just fucking playing. It's like you're just setting up the fucking side when you're on the other side so that when you join, it's how you want it to be. Like, it almost looked like that. So, quite frankly, I don't think there are many people who aren't compromised. So bearing in mind, the real people who could do this job would have to be people who have an obvious split from Riot. Like the joke is, yeah, he's being self-aggrandizing and playing to his brand, but Monty's not wrong. Monty, unironically, would actually be a mega hire for this role because he has a natural fucking friction with Riot. But unlike me and others, he's never totally out and a doomer on it. He always believes it's possible to change the system from inside and you can still do things the right way. And essentially, we can still fix it. It's not too late. We're not the Titanic going down on the iceberg. If anything, the iceberg's still on the right. He, 
He does believe that shit. But the joke is, obviously, that person was never even going to be considered. And to, to point out Richard's thing, would never even bother doing the the sleeper apply of, like, could I even get this gig if I was? No, well, I wouldn't even bother. So the real problem is you actually come back to, like, a shortlist where, unironically, Mark Z might be the best name on the shortlist. Because one thing I'll say about him, I, I feel like his association with Travis, which is entirely, by the way, self-chosen, and I would say, like, almost masochistic if you look what it's done to his career. That's what's fucked his whole rep. Like, the Mark Z that was on the broadcast, did anyone ever even flame him? I also was a pretty good member of the LCS broadcast. He was one of the better people. He could do a little bit of meme stuff. He could also properly analyze the game. People don't know. He used to be a coach for, like, Team yeah. Liquid back in the day. Like, the guy knows his stuff. You'll notice I've had him on my shows over the years. I always thought he was actually a very complicated figure because, to me, he's one of those people who's an aggregate of whoever he's around. Like, when I had him on my shows or I saw him on the proper broadcast, I thought sometimes he was very good at what he did. thought, actually, he's more of a legit person. I even think to myself, why is he so hitched to Travis's wagon? But then a Apparently, if you look at some of the work he's done, it's because there's a financial incentive there. They are also friends and have been for a long time. And so I've always thought one of his problems, a bit like LS, is he just has the wrong crowd around him. And when you have Travis around him, you just become like Travis on his shows. You all sit there. You all know a little bit about what's going on. You all snarkily just go, hey, you bloody stupid fans. Like, you know anything like that would be the angle, even though it might be like a legit angle someone's bringing up. But you just want to suppress it. So sadly, I think he's been drawn into too much of Travis's bullshit. And that is an issue because I do believe, by the way, he is not a liar. I actually think he is an earnest person who genuinely believes the things he is saying. But then that leads to the next problem, as Rich pointed out, which is he's already essentially disqualified himself from this role purely with how he chose entirely voluntarily to speak out about the Danny and Evil Geniuses situation. Because what he did was he compounded the Arsh Goyle totally inappropriate, unprofessional report on that that featured compromised sources just getting to free reign say things that hadn't been verified and actually potentially endangered other sources, hence why Richard and I didn't mention some of those details. He just took that and he saw that angle that they all did. This is why we call it the cover-up. They all saw, oh, shit, there's an angle here. The defense angle. It's like the OJ Simpson one. You don't make it about, did he murder someone? You make it about, can he fit into these gloves? And if he can't fit into these gloves, he must be innocent. It's sophistry. So what they did was they made the whole angle. Ah, but technically, the whole esports industry doesn't know how to deal with autistic people. People. And I'm sure people would have similar problems. Therefore, this was a systemic issue that's affecting everyone in the industry. And in fact, he actually went out of his way to say this. If you watch that video, this isn't about we should call out specific people and blame them. By the way, if people don't understand, as a very quick summary, that is 180 to the truth. Like, even if it indeed is a systemic issue, what happened to Danny is not a systemic issue. That has not happened in many teams. This was an extreme outlier that was really fucked up, and those people, even from the bullshit Arsh Goyle report where he revealed things he shouldn't have actually said about, are so heinous to things they have done knowingly and intentionally coerced behaviour from this person, that that does need to literally be called out by name by as many people as possible. The community essentially does need to all come on record and say, this is unacceptable and no one who does that can be allowed to be in this particular role. Instead, people like Mark and Travis and the rest of them just played up the fucking cover angle and essentially used like the system like my joke is i got this from my discord it's like a scooby-doo episode at the end we catch the bad guy 
but instead of just telling us who the bad guy is, we whip off his mask. Oh, what do you know? It's the system after all. Mm-hmm. Bloody hell, I'd have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that Richard Lewis and Thor. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it wasn't. It was just fucking Nicole Point Jameson. It was fucking the Game of Dog person. It was these people that we named and told you the stories that we're about. So my problem is this. He did run interference for that. And if people don't know, he didn't even do it in an independent manner. Him and Travis know so little about journalistic ethics. They think that when Travis, who used to date Nicole Point Jameson, says, I am going to turn my camera off and not comment. But Mark, you can make a video about this where you decide who you blame or don't blame and then put it on my monetized channel. And by the way, I, at the end of the day, have final say on what is on my channel and I will review it. Like, you essentially just made the video there, Travis. You just used a proxy to make it for you. And he isn't independent either. He knows you used to fuck that person. And I would go ahead and guess, since you know they're all there in real life, you're probably friends with her too. You're probably in that circle as well. So the idea that you've essentially run cover for your friend who've done, as far as we can tell, the most heinous shit done to a player, maybe ever in the LCS, but I'll just say on record in the last, what, five years or something. The idea that guy is now going to be the commissioner of the whole LCS. The same LCS that when there was this emergency sub for Danny in September of 2022 didn't have an explanation for why they get an emergency sub or how this is different or why this violates the rules. They didn't ever say, like, there'll be an investigation by data. They never even went on record. It was never publicly anywhere on the internet. You can go look this up. It was never even on LOL Esports about this sub, by the way. You can go look this up. They just said it like a rumor on fucking Reddit from the account of the LCS commissioner. It was absolute madness. So to me, the real problem here is this is someone who's already sure he wouldn't be good at that job. And secondly, at the moment, nobody can do this job. The job of LCS commissioner is the opposite of what it should be. If you watch Dana White or the the guys from the NFL get tortured their whole lives, mate, their job for real is to have everyone go, you're a fucking wanker who's to blame for everything. Now answer to the press as to why you did or didn't do this. And their job sometimes is eat shit even when they didn't decide it. The LCS one is, there is no press conference. There is no fucking response. The commissioner, as far as I can tell, is a fake role whose job is to go, this is why we just had to do it and Riot was right. And then that's it. That's the end. There's no questions. There's no fucking scrum like Jada White gets involved with. So the whole thing to me was just really, really sad. And then I'll just say... The reason I'm also sceptical about how we'll do the job in the future is I always used to make fun of the fact that the blame game is a phenomenal concept, absolutely poorly executed. Because essentially, if you've never watched the blame game, you'll like this because it's kind of like Travis's defense about whether he applied or not. Every single blame game episode ends like this, with the exception of like two ever. No, this one player isn't to blame for Mm. every aspect of the loss because, as you see when you watch enough of them, He's just using the very logical perspective that one player doesn't usually totally 1v9 lose the game. Even if they did do a mistake or played badly, other things also happened. And could it... So because he's using that plausible deniability, it was never anyone's fault except like a couple of cases. And therefore, the only one to blame in every episode is stupid old Reddit. That really is the fucking conclusion of that series if you've never seen it. Even though if you actually did it right, it would be amazing. Like imagine if some episodes you were like, actually, I've brought in an expert like upset who's going to tell you that that's not the way the 2v2 lane works in the bottom actually sneaky was doing well and keeping up in cs in a losing matchup that would be fire then on another episode you do call someone out like oh adam well actually even though adam can play darius you can see he's pushed the wave up too far here and he didn't understand that that would be the best series ever instead he took a great series concept and blew it so my point is he already has a track record of potentially doing something well and then not doing it for whatever 
reasons come to his mind. I don't as far as I can tell, it's just his light wave donking on Reddit. Like I do it on shorts, but I think that's kind of inappropriate the way he did there. So the last thing I'd say is just in terms of how I'd improve the region, there's two main ways. It's import and broadcast. Those are the two most obvious inputs that you can change. Broadcast is simple. Look, sadly, they've inted both aspects. Neither of these will work now. Broadcast, you've already blown it because you've already let Dardock go, Bjergsen go, do, uh, fucking Doublelift go. Jensen will be gone soon enough. Don't worry about that. You've let all the big... Hooney's got... You've let all the big names go. So I've always said the whole time you had it sat in your lap that you had these enormous personalities with pre-existing beefs like WWE style and you could have played that up like a motherfucker. Essentially, you could have done like the Jake Paul approach and you would have made this league fucking enormous. Like, by the way, in the modern day where people want clout in the whole world, you would even have, if you set it up right, you could get like Faker to comment on like what's going on with some drama between Jensen and Bjergsen and it'll be straight fire. Just like MMA people now get drawn into commenting on this celebrity boxing shite that even they don't believe in. So you've already entered that, sadly, because now you've let them all go. And now the real joke is, yes, literally the best players in your league were like Parler Fox and Licorice. So you shit out of luck. You've, got, you've left yourself with boring guys at the end and no personality. And they never grew up in a system where it was awarded to shit talk. In fact, if anything, you get punished in the old LCS and fined if you talk shit, right? So then you blow the, what, the, the last one is what Rich said. And what's funny is this was mine from the beginning, but Riot expressly went out of their way to not let this happen, which is the obvious thing to do is remove import restrictions. Now, if you don't get that as a fan, you don't get what the problem with the LCS is because you do believe a bunch of lies like you want to watch NA talent or you want to watch people be developed. No, you just want to watch exciting players win the game. And the fastest way you could do that in every year except this year it's just open restrictions because one thing NA always had more, they used to have, they, NA used to essentially be second. They were ahead of Korea in how much money they had. If you'd have actually had full imports open, I don't know. Look, it's not like LCS would have won Worlds, but the joke is they could have had the lineups in the finals like Europe. They could have had their own mega line. The joke is they could have just had a European team. Like G2's lineup could just have been on Cloud9 if you actually had had full import restrictions open. That That's the point. Or you could have had for real Chovy player split in Team Liquid with like real... Because here's the problem. He's not coming if he has to play with fucking like an old Korean that used to play there and then a young... And it, he might come if you actually built him a Korean super team. Then he might actually come over for a year. The problem is, one, now we've just put salary caps all the way around the world yeah. in Asia. And then two, you've just done it when there's no money in NA. This is the only year where there is no VC money. Remember, Steve Arhanset was making $7 million rosters. People have signed players for $6 million. Like, if you actually did it any other year, no joke, even though, look, it would ruin all the narratives about NA talent, you could immediately, tomorrow, change the story. Like, for real, Chobi could be walking in tomorrow. For real, you could be having Hooney versus fucking... Bwipo and Jensen versus Double. You could have had all those storylines, but you, you blew it, sadly. So I actually think at the end of it all, I actually don't know how you save it now, mate. To me, what annoys me is everyone's told me there wasn't a problem for 10 years. And at the end, oh, because of all those things we chose to do, Thorin, now it's just fucked. Can you save us? It's like, I was telling you for 10 years how to fix it, mate. Like, it's at the end now. Like, no, at the end now, I'm sorry. You take it out behind the shed and you put a fucking shotgun black pellet in its head like it's the end like it's fucking over like the lcs is cooked for me i don't think you can come back personally wow some pretty strong words there actually about lcs i'm i am a bit surprised you guys support lifting the uh the import rule though i mean i i understand what you're saying but you know you'd save the league in one sense but also if you'd kill it in another do you know what i mean almost like at what cost 
because it is the North American League. And do you think the viewers would still have as much interest and as much kind of, I don't know what the word is. You've like... got to reverse engineer it though, Fox, from the aspect of if it carries on as is, it won't yes. even exist. So it's like Jeremy Bentham logic, you know, it's like, it's all well and good being moral and oh, it should be this way. But if that path is literally unwalkable, you might as well do the other thing. At least it survives. And you could even, yeah. if you wanted to, or that'd be very cynical, you could like sort of, you know, edge there and be like, oh, this year you'll have one North American player resident has to be on it. And then it's four Koreans and some guy who can also speak Korean, but has an American passport or something, you know? And I, I also think there's like angles to do it where if you did that kind of aspect or something, if there was a really good American talent that, you know, came to the forefront, the narrative's way more interesting if he's on a team that can actually do something versus five players who are all quite good for America. But, oh, lol, zero six again. Like, that narrative still has a really short lifespan and will just die anyway. If you had, I don't know, if like Jojo Ping or whatever was playing with four Koreans and that team goes to Worlds and does really well and he has a platform to actually do well himself, probably the greatest narrative in the history of NA esports, isn't it? At least uh, League of Legends. So, yeah, I think, I think ultimately I do think that the starting point should have been that regionalization is you do somewhat need to represent your region but when something's dead and broken and it will just completely cease to exist like you i do think at that point you kind of throw it out the window to be honest like yeah i think if they can i mean again if they want to if you're riot and you're happy with na just dying as a region and maybe you're like pulling together some of that viewership and just saying fuck it lec's the good product let's just put all our Western resources into LEC. Maybe they prefer that anyway. Who knows? Maybe NA at a certain point is actually just running at a loss. I don't know. So, so far as you want the thing to exist, I agree with you in like my utopia. I would love every NA team to be five NA players. I think that'd be amazing, but it's not viable. So. Fair enough. Either way, Mark Z has got his, uh, his work cut out for him and yeah. I'm excited to see what what you can do. I actually think he would be a a good a good candidate. Like I I I, I like that he's there because I do just think he's passionate. And it's better. He's more. I feel like he's more an esports guy than a business guy, right? And and maybe I'm cynical, but I just think that's kind of what the LCS needs and what esports needs as a whole. To be honest, at this point. Either way, let's move on now from Stinky League of Legends to some different less stinky video games blast grand finals they've just happened they've just finished they've come and gone uh, very simple guys i want to get your your thoughts on it what did you think about it um you know do you have any uh, opinions for how things can change in the future um just talk to me about blast dorian hit me up my main problem with Blast, something I've been thinking about quite a lot, I actually did a video on my own channel about this maybe like two months ago or something, I think I did it during Worlds, was the main problem the league has is twofold. One is even though ESL has the Louvre agreement and they have their own partnership agreement, that only basically just guarantees that you're getting like pro league and stuff. If you ever go and look, if you're essentially, I think it's something like top 24 in the world or something, you get like a plane invite for like Cologne and kind of eats here. And it means if you are like the classic example was people like Ents. Ents doesn't have a blast spot, but the difference is in pro league, even if they hadn't have had a Louvre agreement spot, they can just get in by just being 
ranked fourth in the world and you just get an invite and you, you win your way through. The problem is the blast system only lets two teams in who aren't from their system and it's via an online qualifier. And so unfortunately, it essentially means that like a whole bunch of teams are functionally locked off from being in the blast part of the circuit. But blast really is sort of like the last 20% if you take ESL as the main 80% of the circuit. So one, it just un unduly skews the rankings and, and spoils other things like invites for other tournaments. But bigger than that to me, and this is the part I really think they've interested it, because they do this the same with Blast World Finals. You can tell whoever did Blast, just like the actual graphic design, is coming from a design world. Because they're trying to do concepts that in the art and design world make sense, but don't make sense in esports. So if you ever look at Blast, when it first launched with Blast Pro Series, and it had a similar like art design and the logo, a lot of people thought, hmm, that's quite bold. Ooh, interesting approach. It's almost like a graph writer yeah. type approach isn't it but over time you do sort of think it is a bit garish some of the color palette and also famously the best example is the blast paris major trophy like that is not only a step too far that's like david lynch does a trophy it's like what is it? that's like you raise ahead the trophy no one likes this like even someone who says they do is meaning it on some like weird you know like but it's in reference to this other school of art which was about subversion it's like no one enjoys that aesthetically so similarly i'll say this when you look at their actual circuit where they did level up a lot from the pro series days where it's all those BO1s, then one BO3 final. The problem in the premier era of Blast is this approach where you have these group stages, then months later you have the finals. And because it's months later, essentially think of it this way. Take a season, take like fall or spring are the two they do. If you take the groups and the finals, and if you made it one tournament like Canavice Cologne and it lasts two weeks, that would be a banger tournament. The problem is because you separate it, one, you destroy all the narratives. No one cares about what happened three months ago with a bunch of roster moves and then the whole circuit in between. And by the way, it's a nightmare then if a mega underdog wins in the group stage because then it's three months later when they've completely cooled off. It's not like the major where those random teams at Gamer Legion not only were popping off, they went all the way to the final because you kept the momentum rolling. No, no, you cut them off and said essentially sit down for two months, then come back and see if you can still magically be mega. Well, no, it was a one-off. So that's already ruined that narrative. And then when you get to your finals, not only the seasonal finals, but even the Blast World Finals is eight teams. Eight teams is not a huge LAN. Like, with the plane as well, like I say, I think kind of each starts with like 24 teams or something. Then it goes to 16 teams. Then it goes to your 16 playoff. So I actually think a lot of the rest of the format is fine. But I think when you have an eight-team tournament and then group stage is out the way, and then essentially at that point, you just have five playoff series, all best of three, I think it doesn't distinguish itself. It's why even the World Finals doesn't feel like Cologne or Karavice. You know that thing we all say now, which is that even if Cologne or Karavice isn't a major, as far as I know, ESL doesn't plan it to be anymore, because it doesn't need to be. It feels like a major. It feels like an enormous event, which is like, if it's not like winning a major, it's like a hair below it. Blast World Finals just feels like a normal, medium-sized land. It feels like this could be like DreamHack Open, except it's got better teams. So I actually think the format also robs it of a lot of the hype. And then lastly... I also think we have to have a rethink now we're in MR12 about do any of these finals, especially for like Blast Wolf, until they get to be best of five. Because I'll tell you what, boys, in MR12, if you have a team, like, think about it, if you have a team with a player like Zebu, he could just win your half and the game's over. There is no game left. Like, they fuck up one time at the beginning of the next part of the map and the game is over. Like, there isn't that same, like, ooh, like, think about how the, U I'll give the obvious example of the UFC. 
If you ever watch a, a three-round UFC fight, think about that Usman Chimaev one recently. Everyone's like, oh, fuck, imagine if there was two more rounds. You never say that at the end of the best of five. In fact, you're like, oh, but he didn't hold up in the fourth round. That's why they call it the championship rounds even. Like, it tests you in another way that you just don't get in the three-round fight. So I think their main issue is actually, as far as I know, they're not even looking at these issues. I just think the whole concept's a bit short-sighted the way they've done it. And unfortunately, like I say, I can see how in a sort of sterile boardroom where you're presenting this in a PowerPoint presentation, the fact that it is, like, symmetrical, that it has, like, repeating aspects, like eight teams here, eight teams here, eight teams here, that feels awesome. The problem is it doesn't actually sort of work in practice, in my opinion, if you kind of know what the Counter-Strike community wants and what we think of as our tournament circuit. Good for what they had, though. They did a good job. It's still the best event in CS2 so far. Are you in agreement with that, Rich? Or yeah, I, I, you know what? Because I've I've spoke I've complained about the blast, the whole blast like branding stuff like for ages, and I did think like a lot of people. I was kind of reluctant to because I think a lot of people are like fucking hell, so many issues of the launch of CS2. These guys can play about brand it, but I do actually think it's a big problem. Like I go a step further and say I hate the naming conventions of the blast tournaments because you have things like the fall finals, everything's got finals in the name. It's like you're taking the grandeur, all these little things take away from the grandeur of the big major at the end of it. And again, it's the same format, like same amount of teams. I, I don't like it at all. I think the naming convention for the tournaments themselves is just b bad and too long as well. Like too many buzzword, blast, premier, grand, final, like fucking hell lads, what are we doing? Like it needs to be, uh, by the way, you know what it reminded me of in a, a little, uh, in a little way, like almost like the Paris Major Trophy. Do you remember, I think it was at the start of CSGO, they did one, I think they only did this once, they did an X Games collaboration tournament that I believe Very Games won, and then that was the only one they did, because presumably it just didn't It was no do... DLC, but it was like the same players that used to be in Very Games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the only one they did in CS, they did it in like some other eSports. Yeah, 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 and, and but obviously it's like not really a thing anymore, but... I can see the way of thinking of like outside people of like the branding because it is like yes. X Games branding. Like if yeah, you look yeah. at the old school X Games trophies, which is just like these giant cartoon X's, basically, it's like that's not a vibe in esports at all for me. Like, and I do think it does look like talented outside people have come in, but not really got the vibe, and then they've just made a bunch of decisions based on this. Um, on like the format side. I do actually quite like the idea because obviously loads of people are just going to be baying for MR15, right? Like until the cows come home. But so far as they don't, I like the idea of best of fives, especially in the final, but at least with a quicker turnaround. Like I think you do best of fives with a quicker turnaround in between maps because it is too much and it does kill momentum. And I think when you look at, this is like not a great example, but something like tennis, like a grand slam or whatever, the turnaround is so fast between sets, it just builds and builds and builds. But when a map finishes and I have to wait 30 fucking minutes before we get back into like the, the ready up stage, that's just too much. And I think that kill, kills momentum. And I think, by the way, that's not a problem of CS2. That was a problem in CSGO as well, that there was like way too big gaps in between. I think you should have enough time to, you know, obviously go to the bathroom as a player and have like a quick talk with your coach. But that should almost be like a skill of the coach as well. You shouldn't get to sit down for half an hour and be like, okay, well, 
getting rid of that blueprint. These are the new strats for the net. No, it should be what are the things I can say. Again, as Thorin said, like good cornering almost. Like what are the few, few things I can say to these people to turn the corner in the next map? Not I get infinite amount of time to just, you know, completely reset. So I would like to see best of fives um but with quick turnarounds in between maps because then i think you've reached a compromise where it's no longer mr15 it's mr12 this is a major after all and it's a final of a major you should be able to do mr12 but best of five with quick turnarounds and then i don't think you have like mad scheduling issues either because it's the final as well it's the only game that's going on that day so shouldn't be a problem for me that's like a no-brainer moving forward well while we're talking about blast um, the news that EG having left esports are also getting rid of their blast slot. Um, obviously, this is less about blast now, I guess, and more about EG. But with everything that's come out about how you guys even mentioned it before, with like the Danny situation, uh, with their Warren Buffett of esports stuff going on, and just the whole kind of there's been a lot of stories. I think I remember in a previous episode, you guys talked about how. Nicole signed off and was expecting a grand applause for leaving and no one did anything and, and the glass door reviews of EG being really terrible as well. Basically, EG seems to have really uh, not been uh, it, basically, for esports for a while. And it's a shame because back in the day, uh, EG were really quite prestigious as, a, as an esports brand. Uh, and so I guess topping everything off here with that uh, selling their blast spot... Um, yeah, the death, the fall of, of EG. You know, has this been the worst ever collapse in esports for an organization? What do you think, Thorin? Uh, not Thorin, I can't choose first. You've got to wait your turn. Rich, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, again, like, for people who don't know about sort of the history of EG, uh, if you like, the sort of new era, if we just segregate the eras and just say, like, EG pre all these people who came in, including Nicole, etc., and then post that era. It is kind of two very distinct eras. I, I think the warning signs were like there pretty early when uh, that rebrand happened for people who don't remember in 2019, where obviously like logos can get a bit dated or whatever. I do think that the EG logo, obviously it's classic, it's iconic. It's not, It wasn't a great logo, let's be honest. It didn't age super well. It had very much had like early 2000s vibe about it. But what you usually do, obviously, is you, if you're doing a rebrand, especially something that's iconic and people care about, you do it in a way that's like a classy homage or update to that rather than just doing something completely different. For anyone who missed it, because by the way, you might have missed it because Blink and you would have missed it because they rebranded in 2019 to this horrendous text logo, which literally just said evil geniuses looked like it was made by a 12 year old in fucking word art. And then they got memed into oblivion. So then they rebranded back to the old logo, but an updated version of the old logo. So I think that it was that was kind of the watershed moment where it's like, ah, do these people really know what they're doing? Or like with many modern esports teams and organizations, are they just a bunch of outsiders who come in, think they know the space and shock horror? It turns out they don't know the space. Because again, for people who don't know about EG pre that era, EG are like super, super old school, like really old school. I think they were originally like a Quake org, like in the 90s. Like this is... I think they were founded in like 98 or something like that, 98, 97. Like they go way back and they were one of the like first early adopters of like WoW 3v3 arena. 
They were a huge in StarCraft for people who don't know, which is actually more important than you might think because StarCraft 2 came around when all these big streaming platforms in the West were becoming popular, like Justin TV, Twitch, uh, when it moved over. And EG had people like Idra, Huck, like these people were huge on those platforms. And that became one of the first like monetize, like real monetizing uh, outlets that we had in esports. That's if you like, was kind of a, a semi reboot of esports when the streaming platforms became really big. And they were like a huge part of that. As I said, people who don't know who Idra is, this guy was getting crazy amounts of viewership back in the day, like ludicrous. And I said, they had Huck, they had uh, In Control, rest in peace. Um, like they were a huge uh, like force in StarCraft. And then obviously, you know, they, they went into Dota 2. They won the international. They were in another final, I believe. Like these guys, even going into the new era, even more recently, they've been winners in major titles. They won Valorant Worlds. They won uh, LCS, obviously. Like they were huge. And even though when the new people came in and obviously eventually screwed everything up, this is a organization that has gone through different iterations. One of the very first major organizations to come in, obviously the Alex Garfield era as well. He's probably one of the first people who could have said like, I am esports because this motherfucker didn't just own EG. He had like his finger in multiple pies, SK, etc. So like these guys have been a huge part of esports over the years and not just huge from like a drama perspective or whatever, but also a very winning team or winning organization. So to see them basically like initiating their fucking ejector seat and exit plan to depart esports, I'm not sure we've ever seen something like of this scale. Again, people who've only been watching esports recently will just think of EG as these idiots who all came in with Nicole and then, you know, had their bite of the cake and then fucked off. But no, this is like a truly historic organization who has managed to just completely erupt and self-implode since they came in. The only things I would say to look out for, because off the top of my head, I can't really think of another organization that has capitulated this hard. But obviously, you know, on the ones to watch section, TSM and FaZe are similar size kind of organizations who are already in pretty rocky waters. Um, obviously, TSM, it was suggested we're going to leave LCS to then, you know, maybe join the LPL or LCK and haven't really seen that happening yet. And they've kind of been pulling it, slowly pulling out of esports for a really long time, actually, in a in a funny kind of way. And then obviously, FaZe, it's all very well documented. They went public, complete fucking disaster. Now, oh, yeah, the OGs are back. FaZe back. Spoiler alert, FaZe Banks is a degenerate drug addict moron who will never achieve anything in his life and was the product of a fucking emerging YouTube era of gaming, which has long since passed. Those people who now got the reins back in FaZe are a bunch of man children who don't have a clue about anything. And they will be the first ones to sit up there and again, talk down to you like a Travis or whatever about industry insider you think you know what's going on this guy doesn't have a clue what's going on this guy probably doesn't even know how he got in the bed he woke up in so no these are not uh yeah not it when it comes to facing tsm but obviously they still exist they're still intending to keep going in esports so you can't really chuck them in the same conversation because this is eg waving the white flag like they're out they're or they are on the precipice of completely leaving so i do think this is probably the biggest collapse certainly from a team perspective obviously there are some tos and stuff that disappeared over the years but yeah this will be the biggest team i think 
that have uh, left esports, other than H2K, of course, you know, obviously. Oh, obviously, that's say. the one that's the most missed. Yeah. To be honest, if you did like, you know, a, a advanced like Twitter metric API search, if you just looked at all the Spanish accounts, it probably would be H2K, the amount they mention it, you know, it is probably the most missed esports <laughs> talk, I'd imagine. So, yeah, big up Spain. I mean, to be fair, Bloop in like 2021 was even still saying, "How's H2K doing?" And they'd be exactly. out here for leagues. Yeah. You know, so. Everyone, everyone <laughs> wants to know how H2K is doing, mate. It's crazy. They all check in. They're all super <laughs> interested. So, you know, all I'll say is hated or adored, but never ignored. <laughs> right. And on that lovely note, let's uh, let's make things in the spirit of Christmas, as we have, of course. Um, yes, done with with HK there. I believe we got some Discord questions. Oh, yeah. he's uh, are we not gonna ask Thorin about this one? Sorry, was it your turn? We will have some dis we do have some Discord questions. I wasn't finishing my sentence. No, it's all good. I was gonna say, <laughs> the I don't have a massive have time for this questions. one. I've got a shorter version, so oh, sorry, here's how we'll do it. Fact. To answer the bigger question, like, is this like the biggest collapse of an org ever? Mm. Currently. Probably yes, but there's there's some like there's some like let's say like potentially contentious areas. Like one, if you just look at what's going on with TSM, give them time. Could be TSM yet. Yeah. Like let's be real. Like TSM. Here's the problem. As Rich pointed out, there, this isn't really even the EG that people think of when they mean the legacy org that had a lot of success, which is the middle period, as he says with Alex Garfield. It originally was a mega old Quake and Counter Strike team, uh, but at like a low level without much business acumen behind it. Then it became after being sort of a plucky underdog. It field or no, essentially it was like a Canadian Ents if you know the Counter-Strike analogy of like a Finnish team, they'll never work with a big budget. You just get people from your country, you build a squad out. But then Alex Garfield took over and because Alex Garfield essentially was like an, a Steve Jobs-esque figure in esports, took the whole industry up to a high level and obviously his brand went first and foremost along with the Alliance brand that he did on the side because that's how many fucking sponsors he had that he couldn't even just spend them all on one team. And then he had all this incredible success. But the real issue here is people like Nicole and that entire... C-suite set of executives had nothing to do with that particular era of success. They really were people who came in later to revivify a formerly dormant brand. If you don't know, even in the mid middle period of that, there was a bit between Alex and At B where they had like PPD, for example, the old Dota player, the captain that won TI took over the org at one point in time until he then became, did commentary and then came back to be a player and he played for Optics. So they, they themselves were always dining out on the past success anyway. But the reason why it's huge to me is because it was a true legacy org. Like, Evil Geniuses is one of the few teams that does go back with the likes of, like, SK Gaming to the 90s. Like, even people like Mouse Sports guys like, the early 2000s. Like, that's how few brands actually survived all of these economic resets and fucking financial problems and, and basically just brands not being important anymore. And the joke is even people like Four Kings didn't make it. And they used to be yeah. another one you'd figure, you'd figure like just like SK, oh, they're always going to be there. You know, they'll be there years from now. So I do think to have an enormous legacy brand, as far as we can tell, at the moment, sell everything and move from the space. And if they ever come back, it'll be another, you know, fucking Frankenstein 
make it something that was dead alive again, slap a new face and logo on it, and then pretend you're continuing that legacy that you have nothing to do with. So I think that's a huge one. I'll give an honourable mention to Meet Your Makers back in the day where they did that thing where they left but then came back with a different management. When they left the first time, that was basically the 2008 economic crash that kicked in in esports in 2009. They had come in and it mega inflated the scene if people don't know. Like back then, the story was they gave like Moon, that Warcraft 3 player, a fucking like 10k a month salary. By the way, 10k a month salary would be mad in Counter-Strike in like 2015 and this motherfucker had it in like 2008 or something. Also, I know those Polish players, Neo and Taz, were on more money than God, like insane salaries. And the reason I bring that org up is because as far as I know, the first time that org died, it did that shit where you just don't even pay anyone. You just leave. You stop replying to emails and you just don't pay people these enormous, exorbitant salaries. And then after it's been X amount of months, I've even heard they didn't pay some of the prize money that those players won. So, like, those are pretty crazy. But the problem is that name isn't as big now. People won't even remember what I'm referring to. And they did sort of come back later and have a CS team again. So people might even think there was no big deal there. So I think if we're looking at the scale, this probably is the biggest one. Like I say, honourable mention to TSM. Because the other thing about this squad to me is... It's also, even in their era where they weren't the Alex Garfield one, there were times where they had it going in every game, guys. So they started and they bought that really good NRG Counter-Strike team. So they had one of the best teams in the world. If people don't know, as soon as they became EG, the first thing they did was beat fucking Astralis, the major winners, and win ESL New York. Like Then they won like a star suit. So everyone was thinking, right, fucking Counter-Strike, then totally back. Like they're a premier org again. It actually engendered a lot of positive feeling towards the org that they bought this team. Then you had the whole thing where they obviously still had the daughter team, the legacy daughter team with the likes of Samil, and then they had all the modern-day players they brought in, Crit, etc., that were like the mega other players that you'd always want to see play. Arteezy was still there. Bro, you have everything to keep that legacy going. It's still, Even if that team comes like seventh at a TI, it's always going to be a popular team with those names. That does connect to the legacy of when former teams did win championships in Dota, but they got rid of that. In League of Legends, they managed to get two fucking NA stars, build a squad around them, and actually do things like beat T1 in a best of one, win a split, go to MSI, go to World. Like, this is all awesome shit. Fumbled that one too. That's been completely fucked. And then the Counter-Strike one, if people don't know, by the end... They were doing shit like lose like 10 matches in a row on land, just like never ever win a match. And then lastly, obviously Valorant was the like sort of, they actually snatched fucking victory from the jaws of defeat, didn't they? Everyone thought in Valorant because they hadn't spent and they just had essentially trusted their coach. Like, oh, they've entered it. They've got the spot, but they've been cynical. They haven't signed big names. It just so happened. Actually, they did find one bag of name in Demon 1, and then the other players, it turned out, were sort of like sleepers in the rough, who, the way they worked as a team was pretty awesome, and then they won. They, if people don't know, I think they came third at like the first tournament with that line, and then they just won the fucking champions. Mm -hmm. But because this is all so late, notice you've never had one game there that just has a consistent story of being really good. It's like either you shit at the beginning and then you got good at the end all of a sudden, or you were great at the beginning and then you got shit at the end. And so when you look at it combined, the joke is, if you think of the games I just listed there, Counter-Strike, Dota, League of Legends, Valorant, unironically, if they didn't fumble what they even succeeded with themselves, this could be like the number one esports org in the world. Those are the four biggest games. Are there even teams that are in all four games, guys? Like, how few are there? And how few of them win championships? Like, the, the joke is, it's why that Warren Buffett email was so gross. Because if you only cherry-pick the good parts, it does look awesome. But if 
you tell the rest of the story, the same person then makes the bad decisions that tank the rest of the squad. So by the end, the idea that even when you succeed, you have to sell. When you don't succeed, we definitely have to sell. And right now, it looks like even internally, no matter how much I've heard those older people from Peak Six love Nicole, they want to completely wipe the slate and seemingly go, time to find the so-called mythical greater fool that is the model to sell your organ esports to. So I think the whole thing's crazy. Like, I can't even believe they've sort of fumbled it like this. Like, this is, what's mad about this one is, this reminds me of the whole Overwatch League thing, where it's like, I can't believe they eventually just come out and say out loud the quiet part, just tell you that it's over. Like, I thought for real, Rich, like, they would just make Overwatch League. Like, you'd just find a cynical way it could last 10 more years, even though every year's diminishing. I can't believe you actually eventually come out and go, yeah, you know what? I've completely made a dog's dinner of this. Tell you what, just kick me out the bar and start with someone new. Like, Holy shit, it's coming out of your mouth saying that. So I also think that aspect's so crazy. Because like I say, when the MYM people left, they really did just pack up a suitcase and leave one day. And then you come knocking on the door with your like account, like, look, he's in here, the guy who did this. And then you don't set that movie scene, you open the door, it's an empty office. Like, I swear, I swear they were in here. Like I signed a contract. That's like how the old teams used to leave. These motherfuckers sort of literally like left like Richard Nixon, like, I am not a crook. And then got on a plane and just fucking flew off. Like, what? So I, I also think it's the way they left Foxtrot is so crazy. It's like, it is some WWE shit. Awesome. Yeah, I love I love that. I I you're like oh I don't have much to say whatever you just go off and off off a <laughs> sick city. But you know all the, all those wins as well, like the Valorant one, like they won for people who don't watch Valorant. They basically oh, won fucking stuff, worlds yeah. essentially yeah. for Valorant. But of course it's like oh well you know Nicole uh, it's like well spoiler alert all these people like being held hostage and like like horrible like contract fuckery going on behind closed doors and guess what same with the league of legends team there's a reason that we pe think people don't want inspired they found one day before that they didn't have a job like yeah. one day before the fucking free edge oh you don't have yeah. a job by the way we're out the league see ya <laughs> yeah you think what? you you think people just haven't wanted inspired for the last however long i know that, so these people have been yeah it's it's the worst of the worst so every success that they've had basically has also had immediate context of but these people have somehow done it in a cuntish way basically obviously the org not the players so yeah no they're uh scumbags but good riddance i guess oh by the way one last one these are nowhere near in terms of size scale or whatever when it comes to legacy um you know time in the space success but the weirdest piece out i've ever seen i think is misfits because misfits were in like overwatch league obviously they were in lec um at one point they had like a counter-strike team like they they were yep. in like a lot of things fortnite and well. yeah fortnite and then they just and by the way i'm not even saying this is like a bad thing to do business wise or whatever these guys so actually like well sold their slots or whatever um lots of equity shit or whatever but they just moved into like kids online entertainment with like the oh, same okay. brand so now like if you go if you type in like misfits gaming on youtube it's still the bunny but instead of being like this bunny with like a robber's mask on or whatever it's a little bunny like jumping in the air like thumbs up or whatever <laughs> and it's literally just all these little like teenage youtubers who make like hide and seek videos and shit it's you know bizarre. what's weird about that is, like, you'll remember this, Rich. Even though now, no one will probably even know the name when I say it. The Ben Spoon guy behind Misfits himself was trying to do a Mark Cuban slash Joe Marsh and sort yeah. of be like, "Yo, hey, I'm the face of the brand. You know, we're going to do all these big things. That's why I agree with you. I thought their whole gameplay a couple of years ago was they want to be like an NRG or a fucking envious where you do that fucking humble brag. Like, I think we might be the best dog in esports because <laughs> you're in, like, seven games or something. But, yeah, you're right. They just quietly fucking snuck out. Yeah, that was really weird. And yeah, I don't know, but 
probably a better business model. Who knows? <laughs> the Misfits thing is wild. I remember yeah, that as well. They became like a life, lifestyle. I don't know what the phrase is. Yeah, it's, it's literally like kids like TV a, brand. Yeah. It's, it's really yeah. weird. They were kind of moving into that anyway. Like when I mentioned the, the Fortnite stuff, like they were heavily leaning into the kind of, you know, Zuma culture. Like creator. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's good into the Zuma culture. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's crazy stuff. Right. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about with esports wise before we move on to the community questions that we got here? Our quiz- nah, go for it. Still the questions. questions. Yeah, we got them. Well, I don't actually have them. Rich has so, them. yeah, so I'm, I'm going to hijack Fox's role and basically you know bastardize his opening segments essentially but yeah these I, what i should have done is they should actually have been community questions but i forgot to post it in the uh, chat thing so these are actually from my private discord where people were writing um their question but either way we'll go with it these are probably a bit more pg 13 and wholesome than the ones i would have got so maybe a good thing maybe a bad thing who knows but obviously the theme is of course christmas so i'm gonna ask you guys a few Christmas questions here and there and uh, yeah get get your takes see where you're because you know I find that Christmas is one of these things where it's like the person you see on the screen might just completely transform during that holiday you know it's like when you find out about I don't know your best friend's sexual escapades you're like really that guy's a furry like what the fuck so who (laughs) knows maybe you know Thorin isn't a Scrooge maybe he's Santa in a shopping mall somewhere who knows can't believe it says shopping mall like I'm an American. That's disgusting. Anyway, right. So the first question, I don't actually have the usernames here. Oh, well, uh, the first question is, we talked a little bit about this earlier. It's a two parter. It is favorite Christmas movie. And also does Die Hard count as a Christmas movie? I will firstly say just my opinion that I don't, th- I think if a f- movie takes place, during christmas that doesn't mean it's a christmas movie but that's just my opinion you know but yeah fox i'll start with you favorite christmas movie and do you think actually no start with that do you think die hard counts as a christmas movie has it been adopted into law at this point i think it's be yeah i think like language you know like when you're trying to decide if is this a real word or not and then the thing is it has a purpose right you know language is there for communication i think die hard the fact that it gets asked so much, is this even a Christmas movie, means that it's a Christmas movie, in my opinion. You know, Fair I enough. I think it just has weaseled its way in there. And we know you haven't seen that. He does, he does technically have that line, ho, 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 I have a machine gun now too. So like, if it's not true. Christmas, how does that work? You know, yeah, that's, just, that's just a guy with a machine gun at that point. So it's not even any sort of funny seasonal themed reason to explain as much as this or no fair enough but yeah no we know you haven't seen Al fox but what is your favorite christmas movie god i have no idea not really i never really did christmas that much okay i don't know classic ones because obviously if people don't know just like in america in the uk there's certain films they always play every christmas is there any that used to be into i can't i honestly can't remember like i don't I see Fox as like a miracle on 34th Street kind of guy. I could see a young child actor Fox playing that male version of that character. Oh, no, you're thinking Nightmare on Elm Street. Miracle on 34th Street is where there's like an old man who just is sort of like Christmas, like fucking Chris Kringle slash Santa or Where Buzz Lightyear's, is it Wood? No, no, whatever his name is, turns into Father Christmas. Oh, Tim Allen. It's called like the Santa Claus or something, isn't it? Is that the one that we're talking about? I remember watching that as a kid. Another one you're on about. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, it's called The Santa Claus, that one. 
There you go. That'll be that'll be my answer for Santa Claus. That's a, that's quite a wholesome one, to be fair. You nailed mm. it. You at least nailed the level of schmaltz he would want there. Which, like, <laughs> that's definitely you know you know Foxtrot's <laughs> a sucker for a happy ending, of course. Of course. Well, here's the thing: entirely on brand. My main two I'm going to go with is, look, I also enjoy, you know, like fucking It's a Wonderful Life and stuff. Yeah, it is like fucking, re- it's it's obviously melodramatic and manipulative, but it works. You know, it's enjoyable. But I have to say, my two favorite are both comedies. So I've said Elf already. I think it's just, a, you can't go wrong with that. But the other one is, I do like that Jim Carrey Grinch that stole Christmas. <laughs> where it's all like physical effects, but it's like, it's just really good. Essentially, it's like, it really is like one of those role of a lifetime for Jim Carrey. Like, I can't think who else could have played this role. And you can imagine him like, sort of chewing up the set. It works awesome on this one and in fact people will know they've obviously done loads of those like dr seuss now but they did them all the cgi because this isn't cgi i also think it works better it kind of has like more of a real movie aspect so i think that's a fun one obviously the joke there's on brand because he is the grinch and he like the my joke could be you know i just turn it off three quarters of the way through before they ruin the movie you know when he just nicks <laughs> all the stuff from christmas that's brilliant it's a well-executed heist and he does fuck all those people that were mean to him when he was a kid so in my life that's a win but then sadly i won't ruin the whole movie for you but at the end he sort of does the right thing then he bloody I think South Park do a parody version where they like frame it like an Ocean's Eleven type ice thing, but it's the Grinch at Christmas. Uh, I think Nightmare I before Christmas, by the way, shout out to the soundtrack of Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, all oh, right, okay. Nightmare Before Christmas. That's that's the the skeletons, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah so that produced one. Yeah, that would be up there. That would definitely be up there. But no, I I do I have to be really boring and go with it. It's a Wonderful Life, just because I think I Jim Jim you can't really uh, go wrong with that. Surely can you? Yeah. Jim Stewart, you know. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart's one of my favorite actors of all time, and yeah, so I think it's probably objectively like one of the better movies if you take time it was made into account as well. So yeah, isn't just... it just a good movie beyond Christmas yeah, as well? Exactly, it? Like, yeah. It's just a classic movie, isn't it? You can't yeah. really go wrong with that, like I say. Uh, right. Are you? I'll start with you, Thorin. Are you an understated or overstated Christmas decorator? And by that, I mean obviously we know all the cunts on the fucking street who have like blow up Rudolph that's in their neighbor's oh. chimney. It's so big, basically. How, what's your approach to decorating? Thing is, in life in general, I actually this is the irony of the persona that I have on the internet. I'm actually a very understated person, but I think Christmas is one of the rare exceptions, though, where I do think you should essentially do. Essentially, it's like you should always have more than you think you need. You know what? You should probably have extra little trees and stupid Christmasy things and things hanging up. Because I do think actually as an ambiance, it does help if you do that. I think it is a bit fucked if you have sort of the sterile, like... 80s like just a, just a tree only and then like a couple of presents and like one little thing of lights like i think if, any, if there's ever a time to go overboard it's surely christmas to me see i'm actually surprised i thought you'd be the guy who has like the very like understated maybe even like one of those twig trees you know which has like very sort of maybe just the gold well, listen, decoration I'm not, I'm not doing it if you ask me to do it it's gonna be fuck all but i want it to look awesome like it's yeah, right, coming yeah. down on christmas morning as a kid i went like that yeah of course as long as someone else is doing the work i didn't know that was like contained within this if i'm designing it i'm not fucking putting any effort in it like we'll just figure it out on 24th but i want someone else to make it sick and just walk into my winter wonderland of course <laughs> what about you fox i I have disappointingly so like I am very understated. I I don't have anything up even now. I, I don't have a tree. I don't have whatever. I was the only, the only time I had a tree was when my ex at the time forced me to get one because she thought it was depressing that I didn't have a tree on Christmas. And even now, it's some shit. So neither of you have ever done like the outside decorations, like the whole shebang on the outside of the house, neon lights, anything like that. No, for long commercial. I always, I always, I whenever I see that, I just think about the electricity bill. 
That's literally what I think about. Fair Maybe enough. that's very cynical of me, but when you grow up on a council estate, you, you, that's how you see the world. You're like, fuck, that looks expensive. Uh, my, my mum gets very angry when she sees lots of Christmas lights out. She's a member of the Green Party, so she's uh, very, yeah. very anti. But uh, right. Okay, on to the next one. Well, yeah, oh. What about you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very guessable, isn't it? We do, obviously, like Christmas decorations, but it's all like super traditional, like quasi-pagan almost, like very yeah. understated. Um, don't have any like modern tack, basically, is how I would put it. Like nothing tacky, nothing, uh, yeah, kitsch, I guess. Like you wouldn't see any like no no references to like Santa Claus or reindeer or whatever. Even though they're not religious, they'd be more likely to put some fucking I don't know little nativity ornaments out just because yeah. it's more traditional, I guess. But yeah, um, right. Favorite and least favorite Christmas tradition. So something that you're all in on and something that you just hate, just don't like about Christmas at all. What do you think, Thorin? So worst and best, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I say, I actually think that thing I alluded to earlier, the notion, even though it's sort of an unspoken rule, that, like, you just let all fucking petty beefs go and you just try and have a good time with your family. I think that's just an excellent thing. It's actually the number one reason why I think these traditions are essential to conserve is it's not nothing to do with what you think about the religious element or what you think about, like, consumerism and all this shit that everyone gets drawn into. It's you've just set aside, essentially you've scheduled a time when all your family will get together and just have a good time together and just enjoy each other's company. I think that's actually a very good thing you can do. And then my worst one would probably be, I sort of alluded to it there, is when people make Christmas only about raw consumerism. It's the same concept mm. as birthdays. What makes a brilliant birthday is the idea someone knows you and cares about you enough to give you the gesture of giving you a gift, whether it's an expensive one or not, that shows they know you and care about you and have done it sort of to make you happy. If instead your whole thing is just like, yeah, but my present wasn't exactly what I wanted, an incredibly expensive luxury high-end item. I think when you do that, you've actually sort of, it's like the Christmas spirit just evaporates it's yeah. instantly you've just turned it into something that's kind of a bit gross so even though i get it that like it, it is fucked up if grandma gives you like a shit pair of socks that you wouldn't ever choose because she doesn't know anything like yeah that one maybe sucks that one i can see where you're a bit annoyed with but one you do just fucking like that's that's like a very early moment in life you learn to take it on the chin don't you you know that like right but well, which is it shall i just upset grandma as well as me that's upset or shall i just fucking take it on the chin and just have the socks and also that's an extreme example that everyone gives like i say if you're if grandma gives you a gift that isn't the expensive fucking xbox you wanted but it's something that she clearly thought of you and like something you need and it's something you wouldn't think about that's a fucking banger gift like that's that's the whole premise of the season for me so i'm kind of actually just a bit traditional on what i like and don't like in that regard now what about you Fox? I, I i was struggling to think of this to be honest i i think i i was gonna say the same thing with with consumerism because i feel the same way about things like valentine's day and you know nowadays also pride month as well which is that you know where they feel like companies feel like they can milk money out of you, out of you they they do that but yeah, I, I don't know, really, to be honest. I don't know what the worst thing about Christmas is. Like, I guess, I guess maybe the expectation that you've, you've got to spend loads of time with other people. I guess, and people you don't really know. That Extended well. <laughs> family, maybe. Yeah. Cousins. Yeah. I guess it's like, yeah, I, I don't know, but um, I I like the gift giving of Christmas a lot because I enjoy giving gifts, and I enjoy, 
uh, well, I enjoy, I enjoy receiving gifts as well, but not expensive stuff. Um, one of the best gifts I've ever got was my girlfriend at the time. Her dad painted me. She, he was a he was a really good uh, artist, and he painted me like a a hockey picture. So I play ice hockey. I painted like it was like me, but in a painting. No, an ice hockey painting it was like such a it was such a good gift it was so brilliant i was like really touched i was like holy shit you know and then he opens the uh axe and shampoo <laughs> combo from you that's great seconds too. Later. yeah well yeah i can't i got no i i i, I smurfed it i got him like a little motor, motorbike thing he's really into his harvey davidson so i got him like a motorbike that you build like lego but it's built out of old uh motorcycle parts that was a sick gift that was honestly that earned me a lot of favor i'll tell you that much but no i just like that I, I like you know the feeling that someone's thought about you that they care about you and they kind of show it by a by a gift giving i think that's quite nice fair enough fair enough for me i think my least favorite thing would just be the sort of time and inconvenience aspect i don't mean like oh god christmas like takes so much time in itself but like when Christmas is approaching, you obviously lose time, right? Because you you need to allocate time to certain things that prepare. Like people are usually traveling from pretty far. Maybe you're traveling yourself. The gift giving while ultimately rewarding, obviously, like you you basically, your life gets a bit more, more complicated, let's say, especially if you're a busy person for a period of time. And you do, like, or at least I do, get some feelings of dread when christmas is approaching from that sense they don't last by the way i'm not saying like oh god i hate christmas but you know what i mean it's like you've suddenly added like seven bullet points of things to your daily routine or whatever it is just because this holiday exists you know and it's like just uh can be a bit overwhelming and then maybe i shouldn't say this just on the off chance that one of them watches but like extended family dues like beyond christmas like can be a bit like who the fuck is that you, you know? mean that's me over for boxing day it's like i'm gonna be hung over me yeah, exactly. i guess we have to right and it, yeah it is always for us it's usually the day after boxing day when it's like right everyone get in the car we're driving four hours to there because everyone's gonna be there yep your seventh cousin that you don't know and their kids and it's like oh yeah and you go and pretend to be interested in that for like and you lose a whole day and it's just like oh shit and yeah, I don't know, like that, that to me is, uh, yeah, not so good. And then, uh, favorite thing about Christmas, uh, I don't know. I guess when it's like on the days themselves, as I said, like, because you know that no one has anything planned at all, apart from Christmas stuff, you have like a complete mental relaxation. Like when the, it's the day itself, there's no, oh shit, I've got to do this or cause it's almost 99.9% certain that no one has any commitments. And even if you did, even if something for some weird reason was due on that day, that person's off doing nothing anyway. So yeah, I guess the idea that for like from the 24th to like the 26th, let's say no one expects anything of you other than like Christmas related stuff. So yeah, I guess like the worst parts of the build up to it and arranging everything and the gift buying, all of that can be whatever. But then the days itself. Yeah, I think I go that right. Just a couple more questions fox has kind of ruined this one already with his lovely story so far out there best gift you've ever received yeah is it that yeah, painting i've already answered that one yeah can't beat that painting fair enough 
Uh, I'm trying to think what the best gift I've ever received is. This is the thing. I don't have a straight fire one, so I'll just say it's in line with what I said earlier. I actually think the best gifts are the ones. I mean, one of the problems I have is I've had a lot of disposable income for the last, like, 10 years thanks to my job levelling up, and so essentially I can just buy anything I want. So my family have that problem. Like, what do you get for the guy who has everything? And the whole premise is you get them something they don't know they need. Yeah. So I actually think the best gifts usually is when it'll be something that you could use, like, either every day around the house. But you just think, ah, oh, that's just bollocks, isn't it? But then they've just seen like whatever a TikTok or a fucking advert for it. And they actually do know that essentially if you use this thing, maybe it's an organizer or something, you actually, it will sort of like level up your quality of life. It's just, you never would think of it as something you'd want. And it definitely isn't something that initially you'd be like, holy shit, you got me that. But like, it's then, it's usually essentially it's like retroactively you realize it actually was a fucking great gift. Like I never, essentially it was something I needed, but I never would buy myself. I think those are the best ones personally. So those can sometimes be quite cheap actually. Yeah. The one, only one I can think, I actually can't remember if it was for Christmas or if it was for a birthday. Well, I'm pretty sure it was for Christmas. Is uh, my uh, ex-girlfriend got me this key ring, which is like, um, it has a QR code on it. And when you scan, okay, here's the problem. So this is a great gift. It actually didn't work or it didn't work how it was meant to, but she, it was nothing to do with her. Like she couldn't possibly have known. But when you scan the QR code with your, uh, the code it would say like a different it would be her voice saying like a different phrase or something like this so if i scanned it on christmas it would my phone would play her voice saying merry christmas or whatever it was that she said which i thought was like really cool and she'd recorded like i don't know 20 what some voice lines and if you scanned it on or if you scanned it on a monday it would be like some inside joke to do with that or whatever right and i thought that was like really cool because it's like super bizarre and unique the problem was the thing was um metal and the qr code was like obviously not black dots on paper it was like indents on this metal keyring and it just wouldn't work like the vast majority of the time so in reality it didn't work but i thought that was like a really cool like out there idea that obviously had like a lot of thought put lot of thought put behind it so i thought that was pretty cool um right here we go we've obviously we always talk about food on this channel we've talked about it today but what is your least favorite christmasy food that gets whipped out i'll start i actually hate christmas pudding i i think it's gross like for people who don't know what i mean when i say christmas okay. pudding it's basically this fruit cake but it's like the thing is i don't mind certain fruit cakes i quite like carrot cake like there are certain but i hate christmas pudding you i think it's fucking like gross with like 40 percent proof alcohol yeah <laughs> i just I, I think it's fucking disgusting i think I was, any foreigner who hasn't ever seen this unironically we do set it on fire like yeah, sure, yeah. like that's how much alcohol's in it and a massive flame comes off of it too it's fucking metal in it I think you it's don't like that is it, it tastes too rich for you or something yeah it's just i just think it's gross i, I can't even pinpoint i mean first i don't really like alcohol in food unless it's okay. like a wine sauce which has had the alcohol cooked out of it essentially then it's fine or like i'm not a big fan of like the brandy stuff that gets whipped out right. around christmas eve like I, I won't have brandy on mince pies i'll have a mince pie probably on its own or i don't know i'm a pleb so fucking custard or something or fuck it i'm in france so creme anglaise i guess whatever you want to call it but yeah i'm not gonna yeah nah i don't like alcohol in food in general so for me that's a no what about you thorin what what uh, anything you don't like 
it's an easy one. I think I've even said it on a past episode. I hate Brussels sprouts. Oh, true, yeah. It's yeah. why I'll say this. Same. This is the detail that also that I've also pointed out a million times. But the other thing people miss about like British food is when you have the roast dinner. So first, the problem is if you're American, you're going to go, it's just Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, no, because the difference is a key. One, you don't have the oxygen pudding. We've just said they're straight fire. Two, the, the roast potatoes. We're not doing mash. We're doing roast potatoes, like Foxtrop said, all lovely and crispy with like the fucking dripping all over them. That. But then lastly, this is where I actually learned that this, this substance is magical, is I fucking hate some Brussels sprouts. And by the way, it doesn't matter that when, they, when you're a kid. Yeah, but that's just because you're a kid. I fucking hate them now. I'm 40 years old, motherfucker. I'm never going to like them. They're never going to be my cup of tea. But this is how I know that that mint sauce is fucking genius because that makes even those edible. Essentially, look, it's lovely when you put it onto the lamb or the whatever, the beef, or whatever. But when you put that on the veg, even the veg gets nice because if you don't know, it's essentially like a fermented, it's like a, almost a pickle yeah. vinegar with the mint. And I just find it offsets that flavor because I have to say, I know some people really love them, but I find Brussels sprouts genuinely really horrible taste. Like yeah, it's something I that I can't even define it, but that's just one of the worst flavors to me. Yeah, we have this really weird like tradition, which I guess is based on, you know, whatever, where like when I was uh, a kid like, and we used to get Christmas stockings, they would always put a uh, orange or a tangerine or whatever it is like in the stocking. And I quite like oranges or whatever, but I would never just wake up, open a stocking, be like, oh, orange and like open it, just bite into it. So I always thought that was a bit weird. I don't mm. dislike them, but I was sort of like... Don't waste your orange on me. What, 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 anything for you, Fox, that you don't like that you'd spit out at the dinner table if someone put it on your plate? Yeah, well, I aim it at the person who put it on my plate. Um, I think most Christmas, uh, desserts, I was going to use the word puddings, but that is a thing, Christmas pudding. So most dessert style things at Christmas, I don't, I just don't think they're that nice. A lot of them yeah. are, are kind of fruit based as well. So again, I'm not a fan of Christmas pudding. Mince pies, I don't like either. I just don't think they're particularly nice. Sometimes you, you know, wait like, a minute, mince log. pies with proper like sweet mince meat in it. Yeah, don't. Molly, molly, okay. I maybe I don't think I've ever really had like proper good ones. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm honestly no, I'm, gonna listen, leave the story I, out. I even like you know Mr. Kipling one or whatever. Even they're pretty decent, I think. You know, yeah, sure. not bad. I've just never. I've just never really liked it, you know, fruitcakes. I'm actually surprised that these two picks, like the Christmas pudding and that one, because those are ones that pretty much everyone seems to like. I will say, though, they are both extremely rich, though. Like that Christmas yeah. pudding, especially, it's very famous that, like, when you get served your portion, you'll think, like, I'm not getting fuck all. It's like, mate, when they put, like, cream mm. on that, you, you'll be dead after they give you, like, that much. It's, like, it's insane how rich it is, I won't say that. Yeah, there's just there just seems to be you know things like profit rolls as well and those. those they're a bit things. mid. Like, just... They're all like they're fine, but they're a bit mid. Like it's, it's just it's the just thing air, is you're comparing it? it to the Christmas dinner, right? And Christmas dinner is just straight fire as it is, right? It's just oh, like you don't really meal. need dessert after that. Is the weird part, yeah. isn't it? Like the meal itself is essentially infinite food. Like you just stuff yeah, after that. Literally. And so, then you open so a cracker after that, and there's it. more fucking chocolate in the cracker. So there you go. Yeah. Get it down here. Like Terry's chocolate orange is kind of like a um a Christmas. It's not a Christmas thing. You can get chocolate orange at any time of the year, but it feels like some, there's always just one there, like orange flavor. It's like why are you ruining chocolate by putting a fruit flavor <laughs> in it? Like just don't do that. The like I do. But is there anyone who actually does? That's one thing that is weird. That is another famous thing that crept into like British, which is the Terry's chocolate orange. 
I've never met anyone who loves Terry's chocolate oranges. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a bit like that thing that you two are both know from being in Germany. You know, when you first go to Germany, and obviously everyone loves to try drinks that are popular, not from your country. You all make that mistake. We all do. You go meso mix. What's oh this? Oh my god! They mix orange with coke. It's like they took coke Banter with coke, yeah. Mix them together and then serve that as a drink, and you just like you drink it like. What are you doing? Like, what is this combination? Like, like you say, orange on its own, delicious. Somehow orange combined with random flavors, fucking horrible, isn't it? Which makes both things worse. I'm with you. Yeah. No, I, I never, I never got that. Like, whenever they do those Christmas boxes where it's like the fruit thing in the middle, it's always just super sickly sweet and just grim. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, Panatoni but... though, god tier. Love me a Panatoni. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with Fox. I think most Christmas desserts are either like mid-tier or just not great like i like mince pies but i would never i never crave a mince pie when it's not christmas you know it's like whatever and even stuff like yule log is like yeah it's good but it's kind of just spongy and a bit you know whatever yeah. like it's fine and yeah christmas pudding gross right just two more questions where's that one gone to oh here we go is there any piece of i'm sure fox is gonna have an answer for this one i'm not sure about thorin is there any piece of christmas clothing garment or item that you or a family member always has to whip out every christmas gosh for example i had a uh, cousin who and we i Thankfully, didn't see them every Christmas. Again, might have to edit this out just in the off chance they see it. But your family members watches this and just spreads it around the whole group chat or whatever. But they would they would wear the same jumper that they wore since they were like fifteen. But year on year, they just got heavier and heavier, and they do unironically just come down the stairs on Christmas morning with it like halfway up their chest at this point, <laughs> to the uh, dismay of everyone else in the house. So yeah, that's uh, a banger. But, uh, I don't. Any slippers? You, novelty slippers, Fox? Uh, you strike me as a novelty slippers kind of guy. Oh, I I do love me a good, you know, anything like that. Like I, reindeer slippers. When you push the nose, it sings Rudolph the Red Nosed Note. I had a reindeer shirt, a jumper, which was like 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 a kind of I don't know how you describe that. Whatever this this area of the chest was like torso. Fluffed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was, you just had like light brown fluff on it. And then it had a hood with the rain, rainbow thingies. But I got rid of it because it's like, I don't know. I don't, I'm quite a practical person. Like if I wear this once a year and it's sitting in my wardrobe, like what's the point? This is literally the only Christmas attire I own as you're wearing right now. So maybe this is the answer. But I, I did, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit here. It's not the only, it's not something that comes out every Christmas. But I did used to have a Christmas tradition with my brother every year as a gift i'd get him a shirt a t-shirt um and each one was different i'm going to try and find a link on instagram here because you need to see it to, to do it but the first one was like uh the letter w and then a ship's anchor so that said wanker <laughs> okay soul nice i like that there, okay. there was one with a uh like a really that's pretty funny. Thing. I can't like look. It's a bit me up for Christmas. Pretty funny. That's good. Okay. And I got him a new one every single year. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send a. Uh, I feel like Christmas is the only time where novelty-based attire is like allowed. I guess. I like, yeah. if, someone did, if if your mate did, you buy you like that job. That would be a funny gift to buy. Oh yeah, Christmas. definitely. Yeah, if you can't think of something, you know, that's not a bad I one. Wore, I wore that W anchor shirt actually to LEC once. <laughs> it was a really comfy shirt. Obviously, couldn't wear it on broadcast, but as you might know, like the LEC, like the producers and stuff, not a lot of people are English. Like the casters are English, you know, like Medic and Ledius, or well, I think it's Welsh, but whatever. Like, you know, have English 
backgrounds. No one got it. No one got it. So um... you mean it's like that time we already referenced it on a past episode where they kept going, "Oh, it's Bender! Hey, it's Ender! Yeah, He's Bender!" Bender. And, and yeah, just like, God, God, like say, that was Bender. amazing. I don't know, like a whole week, we just tweeted that. It's like, are you kidding me right now? Someone tell them, please. Someone tell them. Because it's like the prisoner's meme, like, does he know? Does he know? <laughs> apparently not, apparently. No. <laughs> but it's fine. It would have yeah, gone over Ender's head as well. It would. Come on. As Fox yeah, accidentally revealed in the previous episode, this guy doesn't even recognize flags. So, you know. Yeah. Honestly, that was great. That was great as well. Yeah. I had TW and an at sign for my brother once on a shirt. There that you was go. a good one. Yeah. But that, so that's about as close as I would get to traditional Christmas wear was something hideous some hideous t-shirt that i'd buy for my brother what about you thorin you or anyone close to you ever, ever whip the same thing out something i mean i do personally do that thing where i have like some mega ridiculous almost like tartan tier like fucking <laughs> comfy ass pajama type trousers that i will just wear the whole week when christmas comes like don't eat, like almost as though like even though this has never been pre-agreed, as though we agree that we don't have to like wash them, we can just wear it for a whole week. I will just wear that the whole time. That's when you know, like, that's when you know I have down tools and Christmas has begun for me. And it's like I won't be doing anything for the next like whatever four days. Like this time around, by the way, I'm usually not that good at this, but I've gotten good at it this year. This year, I will have content every day during Christmas, even though I won't be posting it. Like it'll just be all scheduled yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go out. So finally, I've actually done that for once. So yeah, it'll just be me sat in my massive tartan trousers, not giving a fuck. Probably still tweet a load because why not? Why? break that bit of a life exactly, yeah no why not maybe, maybe this year i might not declare myself esports so you know i'm gonna give that i'll wait every 10 years i'll declare myself esports but I've, done, I've already done it for now it's all good all right and the final question is what one message do you want to leave to the people for the holiday season and new year fox oh. hit me something <laughs> something meaningful dick. and profound that's that's my that is my meaningful profound uh, view on life don't be a dickhead that's literally every every problem in life are you directly solved. quoting lena or just uh happy coincidence I'm everyone actually and glass houses you two you two you two have dickhead traits as well but i know you lean into yeah. it so it's gonna okay. fall on deaf ears it's all right I also don't. Right, you know it, and you. Fuck up! I know that you go to these esports parties, right? Half your fucking times explaining, like, "Oh, you're hanging around those guys." I thought they'd done X, Y, and Z, and you're like, "Look, you don't know them like I do." There, you're not like that off the camera. You're playing defense the whole time with all the fucking people coming in. What? I can't believe you played. I thought you supported X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I know, mate. It's all good. It's all good. No, just the you are all things to all men. It's okay. You can you can walk through these different worlds. I understand it. I try my best. It works so far. Because you do low-key get berated by people. I just do with this show. Like, as all we like making some crazy political statement on this show at all. Honestly, and like LEC and Riot don't even answer my messages anymore. Am I late? But hey, I I used to love when uh, Thorin did that show with Lokadoko, who was always caught oh, yes. caught in the fucking purgatory of like wanting to suck up to guests who were you know yeah. saying edgy things and then also be like oh but i really want right to love me as well and he's like every every episode he's having a mental breakdown about whether he'll be allowed back on the lcs desk or not yeah that was, that was peak content what what happened again another one just lost to the 
crypto ether, you know unfortunately. This thing as well, being as he's gone now, I can say this, the statute of limitations is gone. It's <laughs> like you describe, even though he was saying that overtly, dude, that really was his whole thing. Yeah. He really thought that like he could simultaneously do a show with me where you have this approach, or but you could also then like you know be on the riot side and do and it's like spoiler he never got back on lcs like they were never gonna let him do that anyway like it's just how silly some people are when it comes to riot and then the other thing is i even told him like mate what's the point in doing the show if we're just gonna take tone it down like the only fucking draw for that show was that I, me and you were just gonna argue about <laughs> a bunch of bullshit and i'm gonna say edgier stuff than you it's like that was the whole draw like it, it, he never got that unfortunately that's why unfortunately even though that show ended i would have done it again but it wouldn't need to be like reworked like what we did have just didn't work because like you're saying he really did think essentially he could sort of like tame me and it's i would go with him by the straight and narrow but i was trying to explain to him the whole time there is no straight and narrow for you anymore mate if you don't know the story by the way that one behind the scenes of like hunter lane fucking travis low-key helping fuck local doko out of ever yeah. being allowed to go to the lcs again like it's actually a sad story but if you know it that's just the end like you have to accept that that point they're never letting you back in after that bit like once you've sort of been railroaded they're not going to come back later and then say it's all okay and have you back on the broadcast so sadly i do think he had i think it's essentially the real reason he left esports wasn't that sure dying i think that was just his last gasp attempt to do what he wanted to do and then he could see there was no sort of light at the end of the tunnel and they just pivoted to a bunch of other stuff like if people don't know before he did like the nft stuff now i think he also worked for like I think he worked for some other company that maybe was like developing a game or something like that. I think it was maybe like an RTS game they were developing, some shit like that at one point in time. So yeah, sadly that wasn't a great example of a show where it's like, I think I was the only one on the show and knew what we were doing. So I thought it was pretty good, but it had a limited shelf life, let's be real. Yeah, I think that that is for people who don't know the, the whole thing of like Loco getting screwed over. That is unfortunately one of the stories where even to this day, like the perceived community narrative of what happened is oh, actually completely wrong. It's just like, yeah just wrong like anything you've heard about what what loco said to this woman it's just not even accurate or, or at least missing ludicrous amounts of context that make it irrelevant anyway yes. but yeah um but yeah thorin what is the the message you'd like to leave to the world as we go into christmas and i'll the just new year? keep it on brand of what i said earlier i would just say this like i do think a problem that we have when people give like grand messages is I've always had this opinion that, like, I've heard this quote before that, like, all advice you give is really advice you're giving yourself, essentially by, like, externalizing it and trying to sort of find something that would apply to. Realistically, you probably have to have gone through some internal process where you think that's good advice. So logically, why not apply it to your own life? So I would say, like, before is, I do think it's a problem where, like, you know, the classic one is if someone's, like, family member dies they go guys you know call your mom now like you don't know how much <laughs> yeah. the problem with that is that that's great advice for you but what you're saying is you should have done that two weeks ago before she died but unfortunately you can't now the problem is even though you mean it earnestly none of us are going to take that on board because sorry we aren't in your position we haven't gone through the experience you've just had that makes that seem really valuable and unfortunately most of us won't ever do what you've just said because essentially that's like i say that's almost the advice you wish you could give yourself so i won't say it like that to like berate people but i will just say i don't think you actually can live life in that perspective by the way i know it's like a buddhist idea of like you know every moment you find like eternity within like I, I think that's like a cool idea but i don't think you can actually do it i would just say this just think like i do you're only going to do it too or three times a year tops just think of christmas as a time set aside specifically to spend time with your family and loved ones and just do something like for example don't go on your phone for an hour while someone's trying to talk to you just just go right 
I'm going to talk to this person for half an hour, even if it's like an uncle and they're going to talk about some boring shit. You know what? Even maybe there's their Christmas gift. Maybe you talk to them about their boring ass job they want to talk about for half an hour and you just let them vent about a bunch of shit and you just, oh, mm, oh, really? Oh, and then what happens then? And you just let them have be heard and listen to someone. I think that's not even, I'm not even asking you to be Gandhi when I say that. Just essentially, just give like a bit of yourself to your family and then also make sure you like share the experience. And even though I won't make some grand thing, I think you'll just find it's just a more enjoyable, but Anyway, even for you, it'll sort of be like a proper holiday. You'll disengage from all the bullshit in the world. Just have a cool week. I would say there's my message to the world. Just have a cool week. There you go. Have a cool week. See, Thorin. Uh, yeah, I would just say, I guess it's more of like a, almost like a New Year's resolution than anything else. But I would say, you know, if you haven't had the best year or, you know, didn't achieve everything that you wanted to achieve or what have you, then I would say take a new approach and i don't just mean like oh give up on what you're trying to do uh, but just try and make yourself more accountable and what i mean by that is like don't just have these plans and these grand th theories about what you're going to do and i'm going to hit this goal or whatever tell other people that will hold you accountable or it's a bit cringe but you know tweet it if that works for you like actually put it out there publicly and say this is my to-do list and I will do, I will be this person in 2024. I will achieve these things in 2024 and actually have accountability because if you only internalize it or say it to your fucking therapist, like you're always just going to think, oh shit, I was meant to do that, but no one even knows. So whatever. So yeah, I would just say if you want to achieve your dreams and you haven't managed to this year, then try that. If you have achieved your dreams and well, fuck off, you don't really need any advice to you. You're just, you're the guy, you are him or her. So congratulations. And uh, if that's the case, as Thorin said, just have a good week. Have a chill week. So, yeah. Uh, thank you all for watching. I'll do the show sign-off. Seal it from Fox. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Fuck you. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks for watching, guys. And we will see you next year. Well, you'll probably see Thorin about 10 times over the next week, apparently. Because he's going to be, while he's downing that, you know, pigs in blanket and Yorkshire puddings that actually now just a fully fucking bowl and has replaced his own plate. You'll also just see him magically appearing on scheduled things like we're living in a in the twilight zone or something isn't that crazy modern technology eh? so yeah thank you all for watching and see you next year